0: Bible this evening, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, we're going to be looking at the Lord's memorial meal, 1 Corinthians 11, I'm going to start at verse 17. So in this, that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and partly believe it. There must also be heresies among you, that they which are proved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you. The Lord Jesus, same night in which he is betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take... But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another." If any man hunger, let him eat at home, Which come not together under condemnation, and the rest I will set in order when I come. So tonight we're going to look at the Lord's memorial meal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to remember. This is what the Lord's Supper is about. It's about remembering our Savior, who was a man, the God-man that gave us life, his body was crucified, his blood was shed for the remission of our sin. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have become the sons of God through his precious blood. And Father, we pray tonight you'd help us to remember and renew our devotion to him, to our Lord and Savior, who loved us and gave himself for us. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, the Lord's Supper to many today is somewhat of a novelty of sentimental value, of emotional feelings, and of people togetherness, of community, and that sort of thing. Churches advertise it, you know, communion services, come have communion services at Easter, Christmas, you know, for the CNA Christians. And, uh But it's not about our feelings. It's a remembrance of what Christ did for us. It is not a sacrament. An ordinance, ordinance, we call it an ordinance. An ordinance ordinance is a teaching or a law that's been established. And this this is a teaching or a law that's been established by the Word of God and it was practiced in the New Testament churches. A sacrament is what the Protestants call it and, of course, the Catholics call it. A sacrament has the idea of a, of a sign of inward grace or, or means of conferring grace. So in other words, they would teach that you taking the Lord's Supper, it confers some grace of God to you, some merit of salvation, which the Bible doesn't teach. It's simply a time of remembrance. It has no value as far as salvation is concerned. Just as baptism has no salvation merit. It's just something we do in obedience to Christ to demonstrate and tell to the world and identify that we are identifying with Christ. We are dying to self. It's an outward testimony of what God has done in our heart. And so the Lord's Supper is like is 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 showing that we remember the price that was paid to redeem us from our sin. And of course, it's also a time for us to renew. You know, a reminder, of course, is a good time of renewal. You know the Lord told the church at um, Ephesus, remember wherefore from thou whence thou art fallen and repent. You know, if we can remember and go back to remember, it brings us into a reminder of our, our need to walk with him. So that's what the Lord's Supper is. As far as the participants of the Lord's meal, you know, people think they they can just go anywhere and get the Lord's Supper. But five times in these verses, these 17 verses, it says, when ye come together, ye come together, verse 17, that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Verse 18, first of all, when ye come together in the church. Verse 20, when ye come together, therefore, into one place. Verse 33 and verse 34, again, wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one from the other. If any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come ye come together unto condemnation, come not together under condemnation. Uh, <clears throat> and in verse 22, it, it says, in verse 22, uh, what have you not houses to eat and drink in, and despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not, what shall I say to you? And so, this is of course given to the church at Corinth, addressed to the church of Corinth, and. Verse 22, it says, you know, they were despising the church or the assembly. Of course, that's the body of Christ. So this commandment was given to the church to keep the ordinance. Uh, Verse 2 of chapter 11 says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I have delivered unto you. And if you notice in the epistles, there's no talk or reference to foot washing. It's because it's not a practice the churches did. That was just an illustration Jesus used. It was like a it was like a parable. You know, a parable really, really was an illustrative story. And so the foot washing was like a parable. In other words, he was telling them or giving them an example of humility and of serving one another. He wasn't saying, Well, you know, Robert, when Dave comes in, you need to wash his feet. That gets rather really smelly, anyway. I know from experience because Mennonites practice this, but anyway, no. But it's never spoken of anywhere else in Scripture other than John. It's never, never, never taught in the epistles in Paul's epistles anywhere, or the words of Peter or no one. So, so that wasn't something. No, the ordinances, the two ordinances are baptism and the Lord's supper, which are clearly taught in the Scripture, and we're talking about the Lord's Supper, and it was first instituted, the Lord's Supper was first instituted in a church setting, Mark chapter 14, when the disciples of the Lord were gathered together, he instituted the Lord's, the Lord's Supper, and so it is for the church, the body of Christ, for the members of the church, uh, this, is, this is for the members of the Lord's church, for those those who have been born again by the Spirit of God, have covenanted together through baptism, or that is, they have joined the church. Uh, of course, baptism is as mentioned as a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And, and it speaks of new life in Christ. And the Lord's Supper speaks of remembering what Christ did for us. It's a reminder of the price that was paid for our redemption. And so that's the participants of the Lord's Meal. I want to look at the practice of the Lord's Meal. In verse 23, <clears throat> you know, this is the Lord's Supper. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he trade, took bread. And so this is, we call this the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. And this is the practice the Lord gave to his churches, and it is he that sets the qualifications for it. There must be, first of all, proper elements. and And there's two elements, of course. Verse 24, there's bread. And when he given thanks, he break it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken to you, this do in remembrance of me. And, of course, they used, what they used was unleavened bread. And it was unleavened for two reasons. You know, Passover meal was to be eaten with unleavened bread. Exodus chapter 12 tells us that. And 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, the Bible says, that purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lamp as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And so, you know, uh, it's a picture of the pure, holy, and undefiled body of Christ. That's what it is. It's a picture. And, and so leaven, of course, we know leaven in the Bible is a type of sin. He said, you know, Paul tells them in 1 Corinthians 5 that they don't need to purge out the leaven. That's the whole lumpy leaven. You know, there was sin in the church, and they needed to deal with it. And so leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible, and 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 so uh, we're to use unleavened bread. Uh, the second thing we element, of course, is the cup, or the fruit of the vine. Verse 25 says, out of the same manner also he took the cup. When he is supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament, in my blood, this do ye as oft ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now in Matthew chapter 26, and in every passage that the Lord's Supper is spoken of, <clears> he <throat> refers to the cup, or the fruit of the vine. Matthew 26, 27 says this, And he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. But this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for the missions of sin uh remissions of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And of course this is the wording he uses in Mark's Gospel and also in Luke's gospel. And so every reference is referred to as the cup or the fruit of the vine. Now the Bible does use the generic word wine in other places, which can mean alcoholic or non-alcoholic, depending on the context. Of course, Proverbs chapter 20 and, verse, and chapter 23 in Proverbs clearly condemn alcoholic wine. <coughs> and of course, that process of turning grape juice into alcoholic wine is a process of decay requiring the action of yeast or leaven. However, the priests were forbidden to drink strong drink. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 8 through 11 says, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that ye may put a difference between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean, that ye may teach your children of Israel all the statutes which so the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. Now, what is Jesus to us? He's our high priest. He's our high priest. And for him to use alcoholic wine would be to contradict his own word. And Jesus said in Matthew five seventeen, Think not that I have come to destroy the law of the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. And he fulfilled the law on our behalf, and as our high priest, for him to drink that alcoholic wine would be a contradiction to himself. And so when the Bible speaks of the cup, or the fruit of the vine is talking about grape juice. It's referring to grape juice. Unfermented wine, you might call it. That was a common term given to it in, in those days. And so, so you have the bread, which pictures his body. And you know, you speak of, thinking of a bread, you would take it and break part of it, and that speaks of a broken body. And then of course you have the juice, which is pressed out. Christ's blood was shed. It was pressed out, if you will, for us. Uh, and so so that's the elements. There's the preparation of the church. Uh, if you go over to verse 27, chapter 11, verse 27... It says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let him examine himself, so let him eat that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's not the Lord's body. Now, we are not to partake unworthily. Now, if we were not to take because we are unworthy, would any of us partake? It says unworthily and the and the word really means irreverently. I mean if if we had to be worthy to participate in the Lord's Supper, however would you be worthy? No, it's only Christ that makes us worthy as our standing before God. We're not talking about our standing or our righteousness or our imputed righteousness. In the context, you're talking about the contact, the the conduct of these people. They were taking they were taking the Lord's supper in a manner that was irreverent. Irreverent. Uh. They would they lacked respect. Uh. It, it the idea would be you know, okay, I have sin in my life, I'm not willing to repent. I'm not willing to get right. Stubborn, one, one commentator called it this way, stubbornly unrepentant. In other words, they knew they were in rebellion against God. And they would not do anything about it. it so it, was, it showed a lack of respect. Sort of like Ananias and Sapphira. Did Ananias and Sapphira know they were lying? Oh yeah, they did. They knew they were lying. But they didn't think anybody else would ever find out. And so it it showed a disrespect for the Lord's body. Uh, You know, in in this instance, if you look in verse 22, it says, uh, I'm sorry, go back to verse uh, uh, 20. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God? Shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So here in Corinth, you had, you had, you know, you had rich and you had poor. You had a lot of slaves. There was a lot of slaves in Corinth. More people in Corinth were slaves than free. According to historians. So there have been slaves in the church of Corinth, and poor people in the church of Corinth, and, and, and they were having this, we would call it a fellowship meal. And the Lord's Supper at the same time. Not a good idea. But anyway, they were having this. They, according to his church history, they called them love feasts. And, and so those who had wealth would bring lots of food and act like gluttons, But they didn't do like we do. Put it on a table and everybody goes through the line and takes what they want. You know, it'd be like me bringing in a full course meal and sitting down at my table and eating my full course meal, my steak, and, you know, mashed potatoes and gravy and and um, candied sweet potatoes and, and uh green beans and you know and, and and uh sweet corn and you know, I'm just having a feast. And poor Dave's sitting over there. He's got a little morsel of brine bread. And look at him. You can see he's about starving to death. <laughs> and I'm sitting here just feasting away. And Dave's sitting there thinking, Boy, I wish I had just a portion of that. That's what they were doing at Corinth. That's what they were doing at Corinth, and they were shaming. See, would not be kind of. Wouldn't you be embarrassed? I'd be shaming him, and that's what they were doing at Corinth. And so there, were, you know, you, you obviously you know what would do with that? What would do to church? It would cause division. Oh, yeah. He thinks he's somebody and I'm nothing. Now, the Lord's meal is not to satisfy your physical appetite. It's not the purpose for it. It's not a church picnic or carrying dinner. And in doing what they were doing, they were showing disrespect to the body. Oh, it's the church the body of, of, you know, to the to the other Christians. It would have caused division, and the Lord's Supper is supposed to be a, 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 a symbolic of unity in the Lord's church, not division. It is called the communion of the body. Look at chapter 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The blood which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And again, referring to the church. So to to be insensitive to the needs of others and not caring to the needs of others uh, in this was you know showed selfish actions, no concern for the for the church, other church members, and really violated the greatest commandment Jesus gave. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Of course, Paul also mentions there was heresies among them. And so, to eat or drink or participate in the Lord's Supper unworldly means to do it irreverently. Irreverently. To have no concern or care about your relationship with the Lord or your relationship with one another. And to do so brings judgment or chastening of the Lord. Notice verse 29. He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So they were bringing the judgment of God upon themselves. It's in, in, in the, you know, the, notice here, there were many. Paul said, there's, there's some among you that are weak there's sickly, and some that are asleep. In other words, they died. They died. The Lord took their lives. Because of the division they were causing and the disrespect for the church. Disrespect is showed to the church. And so there's supposed to be a self inspection. Notice verse 31. He says, For if we would judge ourselves, and notice also verse 28, let a man examine himself. So we're to we're to scrutinize, we're to prove, we're to examine our own lives. First of all, am I saved? Am I truly born again? And then secondly, am I living in fellowship with the Lord and with my brethren? Or am I knowingly, stubbornly, in sin, unwilling to repent? You know, we're not talking about here of uh, somebody struggling with something. We're talking about somebody who's unwilling, knowingly unwilling to repent. And so we're to examine. We're to judge ourselves. There's to be self-inspection. Because if I judge myself, it's like Brother Mitchell said the other night, if, if there's something between me and God, and I get convinced of it, and I go to God and confess it to God, that should be the end of it. That should be the end of it. No one else needs to even know now if i'm'm will, I'm willing to do it and it becomes public, then others will be involved and so we are to we are to examine ourselves we're to examine our, we're to judge ourselves so that we should not be judged see we can we have we have we have two choices. You know, the unsaved have, have a choice. They can judge themselves guilty before God and repent and get saved or they're going to be judged by God at the great white throne. And we as saved people when we come to the Lord's table, we have two choices. If we're in sin, we can examine ourselves and judge ourselves. This is not right. Lord, forgive me. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a God of great mercy and forgiveness. But if we will not confess our sin, then God will chasten us. Just like a parent who loves, a father who loves his son, when his son disobeys, he's going to chasten him. You're going to correct his way. Endeavor to correct his way. God wants to correct your way. But you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to do it on your own. There's no father that I know of that loves chastening the children. Sometimes I wondered if my dad did, but when I became a dad, I realized I don't think that's ever so. You know what we what a father rejoices in is, rejoices in is when your son, your daughter comes to be you and says, Dad. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to judge ourselves, examine ourselves, and if there's something that's not right in our lives between Him and us, to judge ourselves. And to confess it and forsake it. It's better not to partake of the Lord's Supper than to partake knowing that there's sin in your life you're not willing to deal with. But the challenge is for us to examine and to make things right. And so that's the preparation. Don't you notice the prospect of the meal? Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. To show means to announce, declare, to make known, to proclaim publicly. It's the idea of celebrating, of openly praising. We believe the Lord's coming. We believe the Lord's coming. You know, it is in remembrance of His death. We do remember His sacrificial death. Uh, 2 Corinthians five twenty one says, "For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him." Again, it's not some some novel sentimental experience trying to express our unity with one another. No, it's in remembrance of his death, his sacrificial death for us. It's in celebration of that, you might say. And it's in remembrance of his coming again. He says, till he comes. See, in the Lord's table we show or remember also his resurrection. It speaks of a living Savior, not a dead one. And a Lord who returned return as he went. You know, Acts chapter 1 verse 11 says, Which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And so, participating in the Lord's Supper, you are simply declaring that Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for your sin by his death on the cross and that he arose from the grave, proving himself to be the son of God with power and that he is coming again for us. It is simply a time to remember his crucified, broken body and his shed blood to pay the redemption price for our sins. And it's a time also to renew our devotion to the Lord. Our determination to live for Him. You know, that's what, that's what He expects from us. Just like a parent expects their child to obey them, to follow His leadership, their leadership, God expects us and desires us to live for him to live for him so the lord's supper it has no saving merit whatsoever no saving grace it's simply a time to remember it's a time of self-inspection and a renewal of our devotion To the Lord. Who gave his life. Who yielded his body. Who laid down his life for us. And shed his precious blood. To atone. For our sin. And so tonight. As we prepare. For the Lord's Supper. Let's pause. And examine our own hearts. Examine our own hearts. If there's sin in life, confess it. If there's sin against somebody else, maybe you need to go to that person and say, I'm sorry. Let's remember our Lord and what he did for us. And it's coming again. For us, as